So last week, we began the series, Taco About Jesus, just because we could. And Pastor Sean talked about how Jesus was tempted and how Jesus overcame temptation uh, by prayer and by God's word and counting on God's word. And it was pretty cool. So tonight, I want to admit something to you, and it's this. When I was a kid, I hated going to church. I know I'm not supposed to say stuff like that because I'm a pastor after all, but the truth is, I hated it. And I thought it was extremely boring. And so I remember sitting there many times. Um, my family was super into going to church. We went every week, no matter what. And um, we always sat in the front row. And in my church that I grew up in, there was no kids' church. It was everybody in the main adult service, and it was boring even for the adults. Not trying to be disrespectful, just telling you how it was. So we sat in the front row, and I remember on this particular Sunday being extremely bored. I was maybe five, six, seven years old, and I started informing my father, who was sitting next to me, that this was extremely boring. And he did what he always did, and he shushed me. And then I did what I always do as a stubborn, bossy uh, seven-year-old. I got louder, thinking my dad must not be able to hear my concerns well. So I just got louder, informing him again that this was extremely boring. And at this moment, the priest who was conducting the service on the altar, he had the unfortunate event of yawning in a very large yawn status situation. And so me, being a right fighter and wanting everyone to know that I was clearly right and that this was boring, announced at the top of my lungs that this was so boring that even the priest was bored. And I said it loud, y'all, like loud enough for pretty much the entire church to hear. At which point my dad did what all dads do, and then grabbed me by the arm and drug me down the center aisle of the church. Now, I'm not done. I do not feel that I have been heard adequately and that my concern of the boredom of church has been adequately understood by the adults around me. And so I then say very loudly, Church is so boring for kids. And when I grow up, I'm gonna make church fun for all the kids. And all the kids began to clap. Um, I had no idea how prophetic that that actually was, that my job would one day to be church, make church fun for all the kids. But that's literally what I thought. And I remember thinking, what is wrong with God? That he is so boring that everyone who talks about him is so boring, and every time you have to listen to anything about him, it's boring. And as I grew up, I realized that that was completely untrue, that actually God is the most exciting being in the entire universe, and people that make him sound boring are probably sinning in presenting God in such a boring manner. And so, I remember being about 14 or 15, I still hadn't figured out this God thing, and my brother had started going to a church similar to our church here. And one day, someone rang the doorbell and I answered the door and it was the youth pastor, his name was Brock, at the church that my brother had started going to. And so I opened the door and Brock's like, hey, I'm Brock, what's your name? And I was like, hi, creepy stranger at my front door. Um, what do you want? And so he said he's here for my brother, Luke, and he told me it was the youth pastor. And I was like, 
this is awkward because I don't like church. So I just said, well, okay, Luke, some weird guy's here for you. Apparently I didn't have good manners and I just randomly yelled that. And then Luke um, didn't come. So I was like, I'll be right back. So I went looking for Luke. I don't know what was up, but I came back and told Brock that I hadn't found Luke. And then Brock said, you should come to church with me on Wednesday. I'm going to pick up your brother and you should come. And I said, um, why would I do that? And he's like, because it'll be fun. And I was like, please. I've been to church so many times, and fun is never an adjective that I have applied to my church experience. I don't know exactly what I said, but it was something along those lines. And then he said, you should come anyways, um, and, and if you, uh, why, why would you not come? And I was like, I don't want to come to church, and the only time I'm going to go to church twice in one week, because my parents will clearly make me go on Sunday, is that if I'm unfortunate, I was a little disrespectful, just a little disclaimer here, if I'm unfortunate to have died after I already attended church for the week, and then my casket with my dead body is sitting in the front of church, I will have gone twice in one week, but short of that, I'm not doing it. And this guy, Brock, he says, cool, I'll pick you up on Wednesday. And I said, did you listen to nothing coming out of my mouth? And he said, I'm going to pick you up on Wednesday. And I explained to him that I was the only girl on the all-boys soccer team at my high school, and I was a freshman at that playing JV, and I was going to start on Wednesday, East High School versus West High School, which is the ultimate rivalry in my city, and there was no way in somewhere that I was going to be there on Wednesday when he picked up my brother. To which he said, then I'm going to pray, either you come or you break your leg. And I said, I hate you. And turned around and walked away. This is not in my notes, but this is truly what happened. So then I went about my life because who would think about a weird preacher guy, right? So I went about my life, and um, on Wednesday, we our team dresses up for the game, so I was dressed up, my teammates were dressed up. As soon as school gets out, we get on our uniforms, we're running laps at the field, warming up, and we start shooting shots and playing defense and doing what we do, and my coach calls me over, and he says, JL, you know I'm starting you tonight, but you're sucking out there. You're, you're shooting all your shots wide. This is horrible soccer. Like, why am I starting you tonight? If you can't get your head in the game, I'm not going to play you. And I said, well, this is what's going on. There's this weird guy. His name's Brock. He's a preacher. He showed up at my door, and he said he's going to pray that I either go to church or I break my leg, and it's a little distracting. So that's what's going on. And he said, go home. You're not going to play soccer tonight. You're either going to sit the bench or you're going to go home. He said, my dad's a pastor, and I'm living my whole life in sin, and I don't want any more trouble with God, so you need to leave. This is a public high school. So I got sent home or benched. So I'm walking home from the soccer field past my best friend's house, who was getting her coat to come to the game, and I say, come on, Susan, uh, we're going to church, and she starts laughing and falls on the grass and says, if we're going to sneak out somewhere, we have better make up a better lie because my mom is never gonna believe that. And I was like, I know, but we're going to church. So I drug my friends and we stood in the driveway at my house when the pastor pulled up to pick us up and he said, I knew you would be here. That was the day I got saved <laughs> and realized that church was actually pretty fun. 
But if you do not understand who Jesus is, if you miss out on what he's really about, it's super easy to miss the whole thing. And that's why we're doing this series is we wanna make sure you, under, you understand who Jesus is. We wanna make sure that you're picturing him in the right way. Because so many people live their entire lives picturing Jesus a certain way, only to find out that that's not how he is at all. And so I grew up thinking God was mad at me, that God was boring, that God was judging me, that God was harsh on me, and that I would never, ever live up to who he needed me to be, and that I might as well not even try. And that was what I got, what I took away from going to church. And so I want to make sure that when you think about God and you picture church and you picture Jesus and you picture what he has for you, that you have the right picture because at 14 years old, I did not have the right picture at all. So when you picture Jesus, when you close your eyes and picture him, do you picture like baby Jesus? Do you picture like bloody Jesus on the cross? Do you picture Jesus with like fish and loaves? What what do you picture? And when you look at him, does he look happy? Does he look mad? Does he look sad? Does he look like he's going to kill you with lightning bolts? Like what's going on? Because it's important to recognize not just what he's doing, but how he's, how he's looking at you. Are you seeing him doing miracles? Like, what are you seeing when you think about Jesus? Because our God, we don't get to, we don't make him up. We don't invent him and, and imagine how he is. We actually turn to the Bible and, and we learn who God said he is, who Jesus said he is. And Jesus told us very clearly in the Bible that, that, before he was born as a baby, that he lived, like God lived in heaven. And he looked down on the earth and he realized that that these people were separated from him by sin. And he said to himself, I must fix that. I, I must go down and demonstrate what I am really like. I need to prove to them who I really are. And I need to offer myself as a sacrifice to pay the price of their sins. And so Jesus did that. He became a baby became born and lived a perfect life on this planet. And it's so important that we understand his mission. The Bible says in Luke 19, it says, for the son of man, which is a nickname for Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. It doesn't say he came to condemn us and judge us harshly. It doesn't say he came to rescue us from every single problem we'd ever have. It doesn't say any of that. It's, it says his mission right there is that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring us back into relationship with him. He came from heaven, fully God and fully man. A couple weeks ago, we talked about everything that Jesus endured on the cross and how he died as a sacrifice for our sins. But before all of that happens, before he died on the cross, he lived this entire life. And I want us to take a look at what Jesus's life started off like and what was the foundation that Jesus laid when he first came here. And to do that, we're going to flash back to our childhood. Let's take a look. Stories of the Bible. Jesus, the Son. This is Jesus. Heyo! Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a barn because there was no room in the inn for him. The 
after Jesus was born, his mother, Mary, Hi. and her husband, Joseph, hey took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. There was a man named Simeon hey, who loved God. Yeah, yeah. God has told Simeon that he would meet the Savior before he died. Yeah, yeah. When Mary and Joseph arrived at the temple, Simeon was there. Oh my. When Simeon saw Jesus, he took him in his arms and blessed him. Thank you. He knew that this was the promised child who would save them all. It's true. Mary and Joseph were amazed at his words. There was also a woman named Anna in the temple. When she saw the baby that Simeon was holding and heard all that he had said, she gave thanks to God and told everyone that the Savior had come. When everything had been done as God commanded, Mary and Joseph went home to Nazareth. Jesus grew up. He became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for a festival. When Jesus was 12, come on, they went just like every other year. But when the festival was over and Mary and Joseph were traveling back home, They realized that Jesus was not with them. Uh oh. Come on! So they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. This oh, his name is Jesus. I haven't seen him! They searched everywhere. Jesus! Not Jesus. Jesus! Jesus! After three days, they found him in the temple. Jesus was sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Hey, Mom. When Mary and Joseph found him, they said, Why have you done this? We've been searching for you everywhere. But Jesus said, Why did you look for me? Didn't you know I would be here in my father's house? Huh? But his parents didn't understand what he meant. So Jesus left with them. See you later. Bye, Jesus. And came back to Nazareth, where he obeyed them. Hey. Here you go. And he continued to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. Jesus grew up in a small town called Nazareth. Jesus had brothers and sisters. One of his brothers was James. And he followed Jesus later in his life. Hey, Jesus, wait up! Jesus also had a cousin named John. Hey, John. Hey, Jesus. Who would later be known as John the Baptist. Mom, we're home! Jesus was an Israelite, and his family practiced the Jewish customs and holidays. Hey! Hey! Hey, Jesus! Everyone who knew Jesus liked him. Jesus' earthly dad was a carpenter. What was that? Ah, I see. Jesus learned from Joseph and became a carpenter himself. As Jesus grew up, he learned more about God and what his plan was. He studied the word of God and remembered all that it said. 
Jesus prepared himself for everything that God wanted him to do. So when it was time, he was ready to be the Messiah, the promised savior of the Israelites and all of mankind. So Jesus came to earth and he was fully God and fully man. Sometimes people think Jesus was like half and half, like 50% God and 50% man. But there's this whole like important doctrine that you learn if you go to Bible college that talks about how Jesus is 100% God, meaning he had everything that was God in him while he was on earth. But he wasn't half God, half human. He was 100% human. And the reason that matters is because the fact that Jesus is 100% God and human helps Jesus to understand us. Jesus gets you. That's what I wanna make sure that you understand, that Jesus gets you. He understands what your life is like and he understands what it means to be a human being because he himself was a human being. He understands what it's like to have to listen to your parents. He understands what it's like to be annoyed by your sibling. He gets it what it's like to have your heart broken or to be stabbed in the back or betrayed by a friend. He understands what it means when you're tempted to try to be cool in front of your friends. He understands what it means to be frustrated or angry or feel anxious or overwhelmed or lonely. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets what it's like to be human and have a human experience. And I think this is so key because the God that I grew up hearing about as a kid was like so high above anything that I thought there's no way that God could understand me or want to talk to me. Or there's no way I could explain to God the stuff that I'm going through because he's God. But actually that's why he came to have a human experience is he wants us to explain to him. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him and, and lay out what's going on in our life. He wants us to tell him, to tell him when we're feeling frustrated or angry or lonely. He wants us to tell him when we're hurt, when things didn't go our way, when we're confused, or he wants us to lay out our problems or our hopes or our dreams or our ambitions. He wants to have that daily conversation with us where we talk to him about what's going on and he gets us and he understands us and he knows that human experience because he lived it. Hebrews chapter four in the Bible says this, Jesus understands everything about our weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. He knows what you're going through and he cares. He cares what you're going through. First Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. We can literally talk to Jesus about anything and everything because Jesus lived it and experienced it. He's been tested by life and he was tempted. Last week, Pastor Sean in part one of the series talked about the temptations that Jesus faced and how he was tempted in all these ways and he overcame the temptation. But first he felt it, he experienced it, he carried the weight of, of what it felt like to be tempted to sin, but yet he didn't do it. And he understands that weight of that temptation so we can tell him like, God, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted by this girl. I'm tempted by these drugs. I'm tempted to overeat. I'm tempted to cheat on this test. I am, I'm tempted in these ways. We can bring him those concerns and 
he cares. We don't have to hide from him. And I think that's really human tendency. If we make a mistake, there's something in us that makes us want to just hide and withdraw and think, I, gotta, I, I can't let God see me right now because I messed up today. Because I did something wrong today, I've got to pull away. It goes way back to Adam and Eve. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned and made a mistake, that's instantly what their instinct was, is I have to hide. But Jesus wants the opposite from us. When we sin, which he knows we will, he wants us to turn to him immediately and say, oh, I just blew that, God. I just sinned. Forgive me. He understands that we sin, and so he's comfortable with the fact that we can confess our sin to him right away. When Jesus came to earth, not only was he fully human, he was fully God, he had this complete understanding of the essence of God because he was God, and he taught people about that, about who God was, and tons of what he said was brand new, revolutionary information, things that people had never thought of before that had never occurred to them. And he presented God in such a thought-provoking way. One of his main teaching styles is called parables. I'd like us to check out this clip and see what that looks like. Jesus of Nazareth was a master teacher, and some of his most well-known teachings are told in short stories called parables. Yeah, like the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for pearls, and when he found the ultimate pearl, he sold everything so that he could buy it. Must have been some pretty amazing pearl. Or the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that a farmer planted in his garden. It grew and became a huge tree, and birds came to perch in its branches. And that's a beautiful image, but what does it mean? Exactly. Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. So let's talk about how to read the parables of Jesus. Now there's many great teachers that throughout history have used stories to teach students about morality, religion, philosophy. But Jesus didn't use his parables to teach abstract religious or moral ideals. He said that his parables were about himself and his mission. His mission, which was to announce that the kingdom of God was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So in Jesus' day, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire. But their scriptures promised that one day their God would come to rule his people as king. And so many Israelites wanted to revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. And this is what some people thought of as the kingdom of God. Exactly. But Jesus was a poor traveling prophet, healing the sick, inviting people to follow him. And he said that this was the arrival of God's kingdom. And that didn't fit people's expectations. Right. And so Jesus used some parables to help people imagine that his small movement was the arrival of God's kingdom. Oh yeah, like the parable that the kingdom of God is yeast hidden in a lump of dough. And you might not see its influence, but it's going to change everything. Jesus also told parables about the upside down values of God's kingdom, about how the least important people in the world are actually the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and of low status. Yeah, like the parable about the business owner who hired workers throughout the day, in the morning, later in the day, and even towards the end of the day. And when it was time to pay everyone, he paid them all the same wage. Right. Jesus is showing how money and status are irrelevant to God, who offers his generous mercy to everybody. 
situation. Now, not all of the parables have happy endings. Some are really intense. Yes, Jesus stood in the tradition of Israel's prophets, who also told parables to criticize Israel's leaders because they mistook their kingdom for God's. So Jesus warned the leaders of his day, if they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, they're headed for destruction. Yeah, like the parable of the landowner who built a wonderful vineyard and he expects it to produce fruit. Yes, Jesus gets this parable from the prophet Isaiah, but then he adapts it. Right, and so the landowner appoints managers to take care of this vineyard. And at harvest, he sends servants to collect the fruit but those managers kill the servants. And so the landowner sends his own son to confront the managers and they kill him too. And so Jesus asked the people around him, what do you all think this landowner should do? Oh, he's gonna punish those managers and hire new ones. Jesus knew that if Israel kept on their current path, they would be destroyed by Rome. And so in parables like this, he's forcing people to make a decision about his offer of God's kingdom. Are people going to reject him, ignore him, or trust and follow him? Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? Why not be more clear? Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him so that he could buy more time. Buy time for what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people, not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins. But his death wasn't the end. Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground, but then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. So these parables, they explain who Jesus was and what he was up to. And the gospel authors have preserved these parables so that now every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them. And imagine how God's kingdom is still at work even today. Right. These ancient parables are still full of new surprises and challenges. They're like a storehouse packed with treasures, some that are new, some that are old, and it's all just waiting to be discovered. So if you've been thinking of Jesus as old and boring and outdated like I did as a kid, you're missing it. If, you're, if you've been thinking Jesus as like easy to understand and simplistic, then you're missing part of it too. And incidentally, if you've been picturing Jesus as a super white Caucasian guy, that is also false. He had brown skin. Um, and I think it's important that we start really challenging our picture of Jesus. Like, who was he really? Because when Jesus showed up on the planet, he taught these revolutionary pictures about God. And to conclude tonight, I just want to share one with you. One way that Jesus taught about God that no one had really ever thought of before. Jesus presented God as the Father. People were comfortable, people in Israel were comfortable with God as the creator, with God as the judge, with God as the lawmaker, even with God as the teacher or like the fount of wisdom. But Jesus kind of upended things when he said that also God is all those things, but also he's a father, he's an Abba, which means daddy, 
God. And people's mind at the time was just absolutely blown because they didn't understand that God could have relationship, that God could have intimacy with people, that God could have a true heart connection with us as his sons and daughters. That was unheard of. And the religious leaders were really panicked by that image of God. They didn't want any part of that image because the religious leaders of that day were pretty happy with Jesus being the judge and lawgiver because then they, the religious leaders, were like the intermediator. They were, they were in between God and his people and they made a lot of money off that arrangement and they got a lot of power and prestige off that arrangement. So they wanted to keep that. So when Jesus came on the scene and started saying, no, God is the father and you are, can be his son or his daughter, then there's no intermediator. There's no one in between a father and a son. There's no one in between a, a father and his daughter. They're, they're that close. And so the religious leaders, they got freaked out because they were not ready for that level of message. But that was the kind of stuff that Jesus was always saying. He was encouraging his followers, unpack God, dig into God. Don't be bored by God. That's too simple of a picture. Don't, don't, don't be distant from God. That, that's too simple of a picture. Instead, press into God and discover the fullness of everything that God has for you. And when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus defaulted to this epic prayer. And some people, like I grew up in my church, we memorized this prayer and we would recite this prayer. Um, it really didn't mean as much to me then as it does now, but, but it comes straight out of Scripture. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he, he prayed a prayer that people call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, but in Scripture it's found in Matthew chapter 6, and this is what he said when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, this is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven. And I love this because it, it means that God is allowing himself to to belong to us and us to him, our father. Not the father, not heavenly father, not distant father, but our father who is in heaven. May your name be kept holy. So in the next line, it's acknowledging that God is holy, that God is separate from us. He, he doesn't have sin, he doesn't have evil or twisting within him, he's separate and holy. Then it says, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth. And I think it's important to think about that because if we're praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth, that lets us know that in a lot of circumstances, God's will is not being done on earth. Like war and depression and suicide and drug addiction and, and sexual perversion and all these things, these are not God's will on earth. And, and Jesus challenges us to pray for God's will on earth because these other things are a twisting of it. And that's why we live in a world that's broken and fallen and has so much trouble. And one of the things that Jesus says, pray to your father and ask for his will to be done on earth because the more God's will is done on earth, the, the less twisted and perverted and messed up it is. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us of our sins. You see, every day we need something from God's hand and it's okay to ask. I grew up being afraid to ask Jesus for things. But Jesus said we can ask him for what we need daily. We can ask him for the little things. So the bread, the, the food, the lunch money, the bills to be paid, to make the team you're hoping to make, to get first chair in the band, whatever it is, we can ask for the little things, the food, 
or the big things like forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we think, oh, what Jesus, what I want to, it's too little or it's too big. But, but both things, nothing's too little or too big for us to bring to God. So give us the food we need and forgive us of the sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So there's a commitment that we're making that we're gonna seek forgiveness from Jesus, but we're also gonna offer forgiveness to one another. And, and sometimes it's like, cool, I wanna get forgiveness from Jesus, but I'm not sure I wanna like offer forgiveness to those who've hurt or wronged me. But Jesus knows how important that is we don't hold on to those grudges, so forgive those who have forgiven against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So we can pray that God will help deliver us from the temptations and rescue us from the very real attacks of the enemy. So when Jesus starts presenting stuff like this, it's like mind-blowing teaching about God. It's a new way of seeing God that, that the Israelites, the Jewish people, the people of Jesus' era didn't see. And as we, we throw these terms around a lot, like that God's a father, that's a common um, analogy that's used in our generation. But I just like to challenge you, like, have you really unpacked it? Like Jesus gets you. Jesus understands you because he's God and fully human. But have you made a major effort to begin to truly understand who Jesus is, who God actually is? Is Not a God of our own making or our own imagination, but, but who God says he is as revealed to us in the Bible. And we hope that as we talk about Jesus, that that's actually what you're doing, that you're trying to unpack and dig in and discover who Jesus really is. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks that you would love us enough that you'd come to this planet, that you'd seek us out, that you could save us. And God, we need saving sometimes from ourselves, sometimes from the evil ones, sometimes from just the messed up way that this world is. And we thank you that, that you loved us enough to do that. And God, we pray that through this series and just through our own faith journey that we would begin to discover more and more of who you are and what you have for us. And we love you. Bless this week before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.